The Guardian. Stonehenge is one of the most famous and important archaeological sites in Britain. As you follow this monumental avenue towards Stonehenge, the stones literally appear to rise out of the ground before you. It is, it is a remarkable sight. And when you get to Stonehenge, you are in an amphitheatre surrounded by dozens of large Bronze Age mounds, cemeteries around you. It, it possesses some of the most impressive archaeological vistas in the world. Usually, thousands of people gather at the sites for the summer solstice, joining around this mass of huge stones believed to be marking out the seasons or the sky. It's also an ancient burial site, and it's believed to have been built over four and a half thousand years ago. Standing in the, uh, you know, next to Stonehenge and looking out, you really do feel, you know, the weight of history and prehistory around you. The whole landscape is theatrical. The structure lies close to another, lesser known sacred circle, built around the same time, called the Durrington Walls. But brand new archaeological research using cutting-edge technology has revealed that hidden in this landscape around Durrington Walls, just north of Salisbury, is something even more impressive. These, these pits had a diameter of two kilometres, and there is nothing that approaches that scale in Britain at this period and probably over a large chunk of Europe either. I'm Hannah Devlin and this is Science Weekly. Many archaeologists, most archaeologists would look at Stonehenge itself but I am a landscape archaeologist. I like to look around things. I put my back to the stones and look out. This is Professor Vincent Gaffney. He's the anniversary chair in landscape archaeology at the University of Bradford. So it's almost embarrassing um, uh, that I've been, I, my first job when I left university in 1980 was working at Stonehenge. But as you said, it is one of the most attractive archaeological sites in the world. Uh, the area around Stonehenge, it's in Salisbury Plain and people tend to think that it's, a, that it's flat and featureless, but it really isn't. It's got masses of topography and character and hidden spaces. So, so Vince, you're, you're part of the Stonehenge Hidden Landscapes Project. Could you just tell us a bit about what that is? Um, the, the Stonehenge Hidden Landscapes Project is a pan-European consortium to, to look at landscapes with cutting-edge ge geophysics and remote sensing technology, not looking at the monuments, but looking at all the bits in between and tying them together in a seamless archaeological map. About 10 years ago, the circus rolled into town. Um, these huge machines um, with multi-sensors being pulled by quad bikes at 20 to 30 kilometers an hour rolled across the landscape. And we've now done 12 square kilometers of con contiguous um, surveying around the, the, the landscape. It's allowed us to produce a seamless map of subsurface archaeology for most of this area. What are the big machines that turn up? Um, I mean, you've mentioned 
things rolling around on quad bikes. For, for many years, the, work, the workhorse of archaeological geophysics has been the magnetometer, looking at variations in the magnetic field um, um, as, as you move across it. Um, and not surprisingly, uh, the, the, a large part of this investment was in was into, into magnet, magnetometry. And what do they let you see beyond kind of what's on the surface? The first thing is that you can see where you don't have archaeology, where you have gaps, and that's important. Once you've got that level of data, and and we're in now, and we have approached this position, you're able to start joining dots because you can see more. You can see how things fit spatially uh, together. Uh, it is not. It isn't. It is not untruthful to say this has been a transformational period. It certainly felt like an extremely rich seam that you've been working on um, from where I've been sitting. I feel as though every year or so, there's a big new discovery around Stonehenge in the mm. landscape. And recently, your team's made another breakthrough. Um, could you just tell me what happened with this first and what you started to see that gave you the hints that you were on to another discovery? We first started seeing a series of very strange features within the mag magnetometer data, anomalies. They were big, they were clearly big. They were about 20 meters across. And initially we saw about three or four of these things. And we looked at them, we, we saw them. We'd never seen anything quite like them before. And at the time we thought, well, what are they? Well, they could, they could, they're probably one of two things. They might be dew ponds. So in the past, people dug, uh, created basins which were lined with clay or vegetable matter. They, they, this allowed rainfall to collect within them and they could be used for animals to drink at. And of course, the other possibility, on Salisbury Plain, the army has been fertling around and up there forever, it would seem. So you, you can never sometimes be entirely sure what you're, you're looking at is, is, um, isn't something that was done by the military sometime between, you know, I don't know, 1850 and 1920. And for a while, we didn't think much more about it. However, um, the team noticed some similar geophysical anomalies in another data set that had been collected by um, Wessex Archaeology, and they'd stripped the ground above some of these things. And they'd come to the, to the absolutely reasonable um, interpretation that they were, they were probably sinkholes. Once we saw their geophysical anomalies and our geophysical anomalies, we started looking further. We realised that there were probably about 20 of these things and they were forming a massive circle around the, the so-called superhenge at Durrington Walls. So we headed back to some of these features to do further work on them, particularly using radar. And it was telling us that the sides were, were not sloping, as you'd think in a, in a dew pond. They were vertical. They were, they were actually about 10 metres across, as far as we could see, but five metres deep. Now, 10 metres, I, I don't know what room you're in or your listen, the room listeners are in. You can drop a big part of a house in a, in a 10 metre wide hole. The other point was that 
we realized that, that there was appeared to be worked flint in some of these cores and at the belt bottom of several of them we got bone and bone allowed us to do a series of radiocarbon dates and we came to the conclusion that the the, the basal deposits on, on on one of these was at about 2400 bc at the time approximately that the Henge monument was being built these these pits had a diameter of two kilometers and there is nothing that approaches that scale in Britain at this period and probably over a large chunk of Europe either so you've got to this point you've you've figured out that they're these huge shafts you've got a date on them that puts them you know roughly the same time as some some of the monuments that are in the area um, of Stonehenge. Where do you go from there? What, what, what are these things used for, do you think? There's a number of things in, in, in this. First of all, given the nature of henges, you're looking at some form of ritual or cosmological statement. Right, that's fine. That's interesting because there is a context. Stonehenge actually has a territory. And this Territory is, 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 has in some sense has been formalized by the creation of large later Bronze Age barrow cemeteries, which essentially line it with the illustrious dead. What Durant missed in being this binary partner of, of Stonehenge was a territory. And that's what we think we've got the, the, here. It must have been whatever it was. It must have been something that was incredibly important for the people who were living then, because, I mean, just from the way you've described the shafts, even with modern digging equipment, that would be quite a big job. Yeah. At the time, it must have been, you know, an immense, unimaginable effort to excavate all that earth. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, you, you know, we, we, we guess that there's some that this thing originally had some uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 pits originally. We've got about 20 of them. The societies we're look, looking at are early farmers, but that is, does not mean they are simple. I think it's important noting that the, this huge circle incorporates the law, an earlier site called the Larkhill Causeway enclosures, enclosure. These pits are clearly designed to replicate the distance to the Larkhill Causeway enclosure all the way around, defining the boundary. That's significant because the distance is nearly 850 metres. And it's 850 metres all the way around the, 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 the henge, which is across quite a variation of topography. You can't see the causeway enclosure from during walls. You can't see most of these pits. And yet they appear to be laid out or trying to be lay, laid out at this, spe this specific distance. How would they have gone about constructing that? And what does that tell us something else about um, the kind of abilities of the people at this time. The only way we feel that you can do do that is by pacing the thing out. You can't you can't lay out something that large without being able to count. And if that's the case, we have some good evidence for counting during this period. 
and is this the first evidence or the earliest evidence of people being able to count up to large numbers? Recent work has suggested that there is some sort of metric on that you might be able to, to find on um, individual sites. But again, if you're wrapping around wrapping strings around certain objects in order to start to get standard distances, that is one thing. It's not quite the same as laying out a monument two kilometers across. So lastly, I wanted to ask what these findings and the work done at the Hidden Landscapes Project might mean for all of us and what we can find out and understand about our past. We are seeing at Stonehenge a clearer picture of how ritual belief is established. These monuments don't just stand by themselves. They stand in a, in a complex network of activities but we so rarely have that information. We have still got tons of work to do around Stonehenge, but the platform we have now provided to carry out that work is fundamental. And that will tell us an awful lot about how one of our most striking characteristics as a society has evolved, and that's religion. Vincent, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking about your latest work. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. Thanks, Hannah. My thanks to Professor Gaffney. You can read more about the discovery and the work of the Stonehenge Hidden Landscapes Project at theguardian.com. We'll be back next week exploring the latest research around COVID-19 and more of the science making the headlines. We'll see you soon. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.